I grew up on a farm in Alberta outside a small town. Edmonton was not where I hung out, but once in a while we'd go to Edmonton. But I was driving through Edmonton. One of my youth leaders was driving, and I was riding along with him. And we're driving through downtown Edmonton. And so I'm about 14. And we stop at a red light. And so, okay, I'm 14. I started to notice that, that girls could be attractive. It's kind of dawning on me that, hmm. And we stop at this light, and I look out the window, and there's a lady standing on the side of the street. And I think it must have been like March or April. It was kind of cool out. But she's wearing this short skirt. She's wearing a fur coat. And she's not unattractive at all. And I looked at her, and I thought, oh, there's an attractive young lady. And I kind of was looking at her. We were waiting for the light to change. And she turned, and she looked at me, and she caught my eye. And then she made a gesture like, I'm open for business. And I, here I am, 14 years old, with my youth leader. Suddenly, I'm like embarrassed. I didn't know what to do. I was a little taken aback. I kind of looked over and thought, oh, I hope he didn't see that. hope the light changes soon. Let's get out of here. But so I'm 14. I probably had a little sex education in school in grade 6 and maybe in health class. Probably in youth group, we talked a little bit about, you know, sexual purity. But I had never, at that point in my life, encountered a prostitute. And I had never, ever been propositioned by a prostitute, even through the car window. <laughs> and I was a little bit sick. I mean, I was a bit shocked. I didn't know how to react. And I thought, okay, in the Bible, they talk about harlots. I guess I have met a harlot. <laughs> I did not have street smarts. I was completely outside of anything that I had ever experienced before. And we've been talking this summer about street smarts. And Norm gave us a little overview of where we've been. But today I'm going to talk about sexual purity. Maybe not the easiest topic to, to prepare a sermon on, but I'm going to do it. So this may be a little um, PG-13, this sermon. So if you've got kids here who are under 13, you may need to have a chat with them on the way home. Kids, if you're 13 and over, you may need to have a chat with your parents on the way home. So you can explain some things to them on the way home. Um, but I'm going to use that word sex a few times this morning, so just be warned. Um, the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs kind of lay out um, principles for living and for wisdom. And it talks a lot about wisdom, talks about wisdom as being a woman. And then after chapter 9, it goes into the, what we think of as the Proverbs, sort of the little two-liners, that, that bits of wisdom that Solomon talks about. Some of it's other people as well, but most of it's Solomon. But in those first nine chapters, there's actually two and a half chapters that are about how to avoid the adulterous woman. So two and a half out of nine chapters, we're talking more than 25% of that beginning, is about sexual purity, about how we live in a world where sex is part of it. And um, I think often we forget that, or we kind of skip over that, or we hope somebody covers that in youth group somewhere. So I'm going to do some of that, and we're going to take a look. Now these, so it's chapters 5, 6, and 7 out of Proverbs that have pieces in there about the adulterous woman, and that's kind of how it's framed. So we're going to start in chapter 5, and we're going to read a little bit here. Starts out, says, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. 
this, all of this is talking, a lot of Solomon is talking about my son. And he's talking to the male, the young male in his family, whether it's actually his son or whether it's men. But, uh, and some of that is the time that he was writing. So what I'm going to try and do is draw some of the principles out of here, but they're going to apply not just to my son, but also to my daughter and to grown men and to grown women. And I hope that we can see that. I'm going to talk a little more about the, the, the environment in which Solomon's writing later. But he writes to my son, but really it's more applicable than that. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. The first point I'm going to make is that we need to be prepared. We need to realize that there are people out there, like the adulterous woman. Sexual temptation exists out there. If you look in chapter 7, which is the next slide, he talks probably about somebody like I was when I was 14. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice, and I saw among the simple, I noticed the young man, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house, at twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute, with crafty intent. So here's a youth that's outside on the street, kind of heading toward temptation. And Solomon's watching him and thinking, this young man had better beware, there's people out there with crafty intent. There's people in the world here now around us that have that crafty intent, not just women, but also men. And we need to be prepared for that. So the first point I'm going to make is that we need to be prepared. We need to recognize that sexual temptation is out there. I don't have to tell you that. You know that already. When you open up your phone and you go to Yahoo to send an email, what pops up at the top? Guess who's single in Winnipeg and looking for someone? Well, that's what pops up on mine. Sometimes it's single women and sometimes it's single men. But it's out there. Everywhere you go, it's there. We live in a world where this is just commonplace. And part of what... Solomon is saying is, don't be like that naive young guy standing out there who headed toward temptation as it was getting dark, when people weren't going to notice, when nobody would be able to track what happened. He just kept walking down to that corner where things were going to happen, where there are women in short skirts and fur coats who might make some kind of a proposition. Don't be like that simple young man with no sense. Part of our job is to be prepared, to recognize that that's out there, that that's part of the world we live in. I don't know if you know the the organization called Promise Keepers. You heard of Promise Keepers? It's an organization aimed at men with the idea of promise keeping, that you as men need to keep the promise you made in your marriage vows, keep the promises you made to God to live as Christians in a non-Christian world. And I actually was, I've been in Ottawa the last few weeks and uh, I was in a church that I used to go to there, and they had the, prom- the last Promise Keepers magazine there, and I actually stole it. So it's, uh, well, I took a copy of it. <laughs> yes, yeah, today's about sexual purity. We'll worry about stealing another day. <laughs> no, I took a copy of it. But it, the theme is sex in a digital age. And actually, it's quite a good magazine. There's a whole bunch of little articles in here about... Everything from um, 
what was sex and marriage to pornography to lots of things. I'll leave a copy of it at the back and, uh, and you can steal it. And you can steal it. <laughs> I only have one copy, so you can borrow it. I don't need it back, but you can you know, pass it around. But it has some good stuff in there. But in there, there is an article about pornography. And this guy did a, actually did a documentary about it. And he started looking at, in the digital age, where do we encounter pornography? And he started interviewing men and young men and saying, you know, when was the first time that you found something about pornography? And you know what he found? You know what age it is? Average kid, boys and girls, between 8 and 10. They're clicking through something on the internet. They change channels on TV. Something. They Google something. Actually, he talked about one of them. Um, this kid who was 8, he worked for his dad. who was a chicken farmer. And so he Googled chicks. And something came up that wasn't what he was expecting. But 8 to 10 years old. And this is not... The frightening thing for me is... This is not a static picture of a woman in the nude, which would have been what I would have had when I was 8 or 10. This is actual physical acts. Things are happening on your computer, on your phone, that kids encounter. We need to be prepared. It's out there. And it's out there in ways that are insidious then that you don't see coming until suddenly it's right in front of your face. Sex happened in Solomon's day. It wasn't invented in the last hundred years. It wasn't just discovered. It's been around since humanity's been around. But things have changed. We still have the adulterous woman, married or unmarried, who exists in the world. Women who use sex for immoral purposes. But with technology, that woman doesn't just stand on the street corner anymore. She's on TV, she's in our music. She's in magazines and books. She's on the internet, on our computers, on our tablets, on our phones, 24 hours, seven days a week. You can find it. But the adulterous man is also on the internet. It's also on our TVs, in our movies, in our romance novels. Also 24-7 on your computer, on your internet, We're also discovering that sometimes the adulterous man is the boss. Is the guy who holds, is the gatekeeper to your next promotion. The movie scout, talent manager, or sometimes the boy scout leader. The adulterous man who's taking advantage of his position, trading sexual favors for something that somebody might want. In the Me Too movement, in the Me Too era, we've got men who trade their career support for sex. They, abuse their, they may abuse their authority over men or kids, boys and girls, for their own sexual pleasure. Solomon's admonition to pay attention, to be aware, to recognize that that's out there, is still really, really relevant. And we need to prepare our young people, prepare ourselves for the fact that this is an existing thing in our world that's everywhere. So that's point number one. Be prepared. Point number two, we'll go back to chapter five, starting in verse seven. 
Solomon says, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Don't turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. I'm going to talk a little bit about there's fact, there's physical consequences to immorality. Chapter 6, he talks about it too. 6 verse 26, he says, For a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, but another man's wife preys on your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Okay, gentlemen, just think about that for a second. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? And then in chapter 7, he talks about it too. Chapter 7, he says, With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. So my second point is that there are physical costs to sexual impurity. Now, Solomon may be using the physical comments here in a metaphorical sense. Walking on hot coals, arrows piercing your liver. He may be talking about the sort of social and spiritual destruction that can be caused by sexual immorality, but I'm sure he was also aware of the physical consequences. Once again... Sexually transmitted infections didn't get invented in the last 50 years. They've been around since people have been promiscuous. And that's a reality. It's a reality in our world. I uh, used to work for, well, originally it was the Canadian International Development Agency. I worked overseas doing development work. And uh, one of the things we worked on in Africa was about HIV AIDS, prevention, and... uh, and medication, and we tried hard to try and reduce the level of HIV/AIDS. And at one point, the country of Swaziland, which is a little country in South Africa, right close to South Africa and Mozambique, had the highest rates of HIV/AIDS in the world for people aged 15 to 35. Now, I'm not going to ask how many of you are between 15 and 35, but 40% of people at that point were HIV/AIDS positive, HIV positive. So think about dating in a world like that. So four out of ten, almost half the people that you might be interested in could be HIV AIDS, HIV positive. I actually met a young lady in Swaziland and asked her. I said, so what is that like? Like as somebody who, and she was probably 20, said somebody who is probably looking for a partner, you know, interested in men, how do you deal with the fact that they could be HIV positive. And she talked about, while well, you get yourself tested, you get your partner tested. You have to ensure that your partner does get tested and brings you real results. So before we get intimate, you need to go to a doctor. Maybe I need to go to a doctor with you. You get tested, and I want to see what that certificate says. Don't fake the certificate. She talked about being careful using condoms. But she was also a bit, I don't know, fatalistic. It was like, you hope that you don't get infected. Well, and we worked hard. The work that, some of the work that I did was on trying to help to address that problem in Africa. Is it Christine? Is that your name? So you're working in where? In Thailand. 
probably face some of those similar things. Working in people in the sex trade, and it's it's what I know of Thailand. I haven't been there, but what I know of it, there's a a whole child sex trade that happens. Actually, I had a guy at my door a little while ago raising money for. Um, I think it might have been Plan International, but he was talking about the sex trade in Canada. He said, actually, Winnipeg is one of the leading places of the sex trade in Canada, and the average person being traded is probably 14. That's the average. So there's some younger than that, and there's some older than that. In Winnipeg, Canadians, for the most part, he said 90% are Canadians, but somehow get roped in and pulled in and part of that. Right, I was talking about Swaziland. In Canada, we also, I mean, we have issues with, with um, sexual diseases, sexually transmitted infections. Um, we have much better access to medication. We have prevention. We've got things that can be done about it, but it still exists. There are physical issues that come from, from promiscuity. It, I actually was, I, okay, so I move around a bit. Since I came, before I came here, I lived in a Calloway in northern Canada. And uh, there was actually an outbreak of syphilis in, a, in Nunavut when I was there. And when you talk to nurses about it, they said, you know, that's a disease we should have got rid of 100 years ago. It's not complicated to get rid of. It means penicillin. But it still exists. It's still out there, and people still get it. So there's physical consequences to casual sex, even if you use a condom, even if you carefully select your partners. Pregnancy is another outcome. I won't talk about that right now, but that's another one. But there are physical consequences, and Solomon talked about that. And part of our being prepared is being aware of that. Another one is there's spiritual consequences. And this one is near the end of chapter 5. Solomon says, My son, or why my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. Your ways are in full view of the Lord. God watches our ways. He's aware of what we do. One day he's going to review what we have done. Who we sleep with. What we watch on TV when we're by ourselves. What messages we send by text. What websites we frequent or even just visit once. All that God watches. He's looking He knows our internet search history. You can't delete it from God. He knows our relationships. So three principles there. Be prepared. There's physical consequences. There's spiritual consequences. So now this is written 3,000 years ago. Solomon apparently had hundreds of wives and concubines. He lived in a time when a king could have hundreds of wives and concubines. It was, well, women didn't have a whole lot of say in their own lives. Women were treated as objects for the most part. They were chattel. They were not the equivalent of men in almost any household. So does what Solomon had to say back then have any application today? You know, the world has changed in my lifetime. I didn't recognize that when I was like six. But you know when the pill was introduced? Anybody know when the pill was introduced in Canada? 1960. I had to look it up. 
1960, suddenly it became possible for a woman to control pregnancy through medical means. And the pill was introduced in 1960. Shortly following that, in the 60s, there was a whole sexual revolution that took place. And the idea, the traditional idea that people lived their life, they got married, and then they had sex, suddenly got turned around a little. Things changed. 1968, our Prime Minister at one point said, the state has no place in the bedrooms of our nation. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but you know what he was talking about? He was talking about the fact that homosexuality was illegal till that point. In 1968, that changed. It's no longer a criminal code offense. Divorce became legalized. Abortion became legalized. Things have changed. Where I work now, we have LGBTQ2 plus policies. I might have missed a letter or two in there. I can't quite keep up. There's a bunch of them. Hmm? Now we're 70. But there, gay marriage is accepted and celebrated. Abortion is seen as a woman's right. This summer, we saw the government feels that any organization that's going to get funding from the government needs to accept that as an uncontestable fact. That's just something that everybody should appreciate and agree with. I talked a little bit about the fact that pornography at one point was pictures, sometimes digitally enhanced or photographically enhanced pictures. And now it's a television industry with full-on live-action that's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Can Solomon's wisdom apply in that kind of an age? In an age of sexting, Tinder and Grinder, sex videos, pedophilia, phone sex, digital sex, casual sex, me too, hashtag me too. Some of you young people have to explain that to your parents, what a hashtag is. Hashtag time's up. Can this apply? In a world that we live in? Well, I'm going to say yes. Say yes, but we need to be aware of it and we need to be able to respond in a way that makes sense today. One of the things that struck me actually in this magazine from Promise Keepers is that kids reach puberty at an earlier age now. If you think about your grandparents, Boys probably hit puberty about age 16, and they're probably married by the time they were 20. And girls maybe 14, and they got married when they were 18, or somewhere in there. With improved um, nutrition and lifestyle and whatever, kids seem to be reaching puberty earlier now. Lots of girls, it's 11 and 12. Lots of boys, it's 13, 14. And marriage is not happening at 20 anymore. It's happening into the late 20s. So what we have to cope with, what they have to cope with, is the reality that young people are going to be sexually mature at, say, 13, 14, and they're not going to get married till they're 28 or something like that, maybe later. How do you cope in a world that we live in with a reality like that? Our grandparents had four years of that window. Suddenly there's 15 years or more of that window. How do we prepare our young people to deal with that? I'm asking the questions. I don't have the answers, but I'm asking the question. It's something that as a church and as individuals we need to be thinking about. The world we live in is different. My son is getting married uh, three weeks from now. And he's 27. And I think, you know, I mean, good for him. He and his partner have not lived together they've uh, 
Actually, somebody said that to me at work the other day. I, they just rented an apartment in, they live in Calgary. She's, going, she's working and he's going to school. And uh, they've rented an apartment in downtown Calgary. She moved in in the beginning of July and then he will move in after they get married. And I said that at work and one of the women that I work with looked at me and said, they don't live together? I said, no. And I thought, okay, that's stands out as different, doesn't it? They don't live together. She said, they're going to like living together. That was her comment back. <laughs> so, as, so how do we take this wisdom of Solomon from 3,000 years ago and apply it in the world that we live in today? And that's uh, kind of how I want to finish. My question, I, mean, I guess, anytime you preach a sermon, you have to think about, so what? So what's our response? So if this is what Solomon is saying, that sexual impurity is... Purity is important, and we need to be aware of the consequences. How do we do that? How do we apply that here? Well, first of all, I think for an individual, we need to be re- recognize that we need to be prepared. If you're a young person, and look at you young people, you need to think about that as a Christian. How do I live my life in a way that, that I can be pure? As an adult, as a grown-up, Somebody like me who's in my 50s. That temptation doesn't go away. It's still out there. We're all faced by it, whether it's by accident or deliberately, when we run across a website by accident or we change channels on our TV or we're in a movie that leads us to that corner where the woman stands as it's getting dark like the naive guy in Proverbs. We need to turn and walk away. We need to switch out of that website, delete it from our history. We need to walk away from that movie. We need to put that book down. We need to... F- There's some of that is our responsibility. With the hashtag MeToo movement happening, where powerful men are being ousted for their behavior and losing their jobs and they're being charged for sexual interference, it pays to take Solomon's advice to be prepared. And that's whether you're in the position of power and could use that to exploit someone else or whether you're under them and you could be exploited. Part of us as Christians need to be aware that 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 happens. The news over the weekend, you know, the Pope has suspended one of the cardinals for behavior he had with boys 20 or 30 years ago, maybe longer ago than that. But, But here's a spiritual leader in the Catholic Church who is now paying for his behaviors from some time, from long time back. And I don't want to argue that that's wrong. I, I mean, he should, he should have been dealt with sooner. But at the same time, we as Christians need to be aware that that's the reality of our world. And we need to be prepared for that. We need to think about the physical and spiritual consequences that may present themselves in day-to-day life. And that's the same whether you're 15 or you're 25 or you're 40 or you're 65. Whether you're a man or a woman or you're single or you're engaged or you're divorced or you're married or anything else. Solomon's wisdom applies to us as individuals. And we need to think about that and pray about that for ourselves. That we are maintain our sexual purity. That we respond appropriately in a world in which things can sneak up on us when we don't see them coming and we've got to react to them. But what about as a church? What's our role as a church? Can we apply these in an age in which we live? I think we need to be preparing our young people 
and all of our congregation for the world in which we live. Again, I'm going to ask questions here. I don't have the answers, but I'm going to ask the questions. Do we prepare our members of our congregation to face temptation? Do we prepare them for encountering internet porn? For easily accessible matchmaking sites, some of which are designed for people who are married. They're cheater sites. Do we prepare our young people for dating in the 21st century? I actually talked to a young woman who's in university. And she was telling me how challenging it is to be a young woman dating people in university. And I hadn't thought through this until she kind of walked me through it. But she said, you, you usually meet people on the internet now. You find them on a dating site somehow. And you kind of get through the preliminaries before you actually even meet them. I mean, when I got to know people, when I went out 100 years ago, um, you started with, you know, who are you, where are you from, what do you do? And you kind of work through that the first few dates. You get to know who they are and what they like, you know, what kind of music they listen to, what kind of hobbies they have, you know, what kind of job they have, all of that. She said all of that gets cleared away at the beginning. Before you even meet them, you've dealt with that. So by the time you meet and go out, that's all pushed aside. She said by date number three, people expect to be in bed. So the first two, you can still go out and have a meal, and you can get to know each other, you can go to a movie, you can do something fun, you can do something. But by date number three, by the end of that, mo- that night, that guy probably is expecting, now this is a woman that I was talking to, that guy is expecting for some action. Because we've been through all that other stuff, the reason we got together now is to sleep together. Are we preparing as a church, are we preparing our young people to deal with that? I haven't worked in youth for a while, but, and I'm, I'm not even sure how we do that, but I think we need to be aware and be ready to help people as they deal with, with that kind of a reality. We talk to our young people about that, both women, young women on how to set boundaries and young men on how to set boundaries, what expectations there should be. Studies tell us that Christian young people actually are as sexually active as non-Christian young people. As a church, we can't pretend that doesn't happen. Our kids aren't immune. Do we prepare our men to be men in a society that they're in? Do we talk to them about proper behavior and how we treat people of the opposite sex? How we behave in the work world, how we behave in our neighborhoods, how we behave in church? How do we treat the young ladies in our church? Do we work with young with men on that? And do we work with women about proper behavior? And it's not proper behavior meaning how to be a good wife and how to dress modestly. Well, it could be that, but it's more. How do we live as a Christian in a society where premarital sex, extramarital sex, casual sex are all acceptable? God calls us to purity. And I don't want to diminish that today because it's true. When You, you know the Ten Commandments. There's a commandment that says thou shalt not commit adultery and there's a commandment that says you shall not covet your neighbor's house or his wife or his donkey or his servants. That's two out of ten that are talking about adultery or lust. That's 20%. God took 20% of those ten commandments to say be sexually pure. And Jesus went farther 
in Matthew chapter 5, and he says, it's not just not committing adultery, it's if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, if you think about what it would be like, that is where the sin happens. So part of our church is to teach that we are called to purity, that we should, and we should be teaching that clearly, and we should be holding each other to account. I say that one carefully. But I think there are times when we need to keep an eye on each other and say, you know, how's your relationship going? What's happening? I've noticed you've been spending some time with somebody a bit more than maybe you should. And I mean, we need to do that with people that we know and are close to. But we need to keep each other accountable a bit. How are we doing? Are we teaching and assisting and helping people to be sexually pure in a world where that's not a normal thing? Where my colleague looks at me and says, your son didn't live with his girlfriend before they got married? I mean, that's just not normal anymore. But the other thing I think as a church we need to remember is out of John chapter 8, and that's where Jesus meets the woman caught in adultery. She's brought before him by the religious leaders, and they say, by the law, she's supposed to be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus sat and contemplated for a little while, and he said, well, let the person without sin throw the first stone. And slowly her accusers dissipated, and she was the only one left. And he looked at her, and he said, then I don't condemn you either. Just go and don't sin anymore. And I think that that applies to us on sexual issues that we've talked about this morning. What's the church's response to homosexuality? I think too often the church is the one holding the stones, ready to condemn people. I'm not sure that's the right response. In fact, I'd rather be with Jesus saying, okay, let's think about who doesn't have any sin. What about the unmarried couple that gets into trouble and there's a baby on the way? Do we respond with grace? Do we support those people and love them? What about divorce or infidelity? A divorcee remarrying or a couple living common law? Pornography or abortion? I mean, some of those things are really, really wrong. And we should be clear that those are wrong, that God calls us for sexual purity. But at the same time, we shouldn't be the ones throwing the stones. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Mary prayed that this morning when we were in the prayer room, that God is there to forgive. doesn't want us to keep sinning, but he's there to forgive. So the church should not be the thrower of stones. We should be calling people to purity, but we should be also overflowing with grace particularly when it comes to sexual behavior. I want to end by telling you that if you need that grace, if you feel that you have been condemned or are being condemned, Jesus wants to hear from you. He would love to talk to you. If you've never been introduced to that grace, if you've never met Jesus, you didn't, don't know that you can be forgiven for whatever things happened in your past, then you know what, Norm or I would love to talk to you. Jesus wants to hear from you. He would love to share with you the fact that he can forgive you from whatever has happened in the past.
We have a prayer team that's willing to pray with people up here. And at the closing, you'd be welcome to come here, right here, this morning, before you go. We pray for you. Whether it's sexual impurity or need to get right with God in another matter, Jesus is waiting to hear from you. So street smarts. We live in a sexually infused world. We should be prepared for that. We should recognize that there's consequences. We should call people to purity. But we should also live with grace. Amen.